This is the NHS. This is the NHS Assembly. The NHS Assembly. NHS Assembly podcast. This is the NHS Assembly podcast. Hello, my name is Simon Enright and I'm Director of Communications for the NHS. But today I'm moonlighting as a podcast presenter. This is the first time we've made a podcast about the NHS Assembly, so we hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please share it with your friends and colleagues. So, in the next half hour, we'll hear some of the discussions from the second NHS Assembly that took place in London on a sunny Friday in July. There were some great sessions which provided real solutions to the big issues facing those who work for or use the NHS. That includes climate change, we'll be hearing about the trust at the forefront of efforts to reduce carbon emissions, and we'll find out how the NHS is going to support staff who are also carers. But first, let's hear from Prena Issa. She is the brand new Chief People Officer for NHS England and NHS Improvement, and she was the first speaker at the Assembly. From her presentation, it's clear that she has been listening to colleagues from across the country. We know that some things get in the way of us and our colleagues doing their jobs well. That could be the fact that you have to pay to rent a blanket on a night shift. It could be the fact that uh, you don't have the right skills around the team and therefore you couldn't provide the care. It could be because you couldn't discharge a patient and get the bed ready for the next patient because it didn't work with the social care team or with the housing team. It could be that you couldn't change one shift in the entire month because you, you just had to take your mother to a doctor. And all of these things are getting in the way of people doing their job well. So, in the words of the famous philosopher, Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Yes, we can. That was a really positive speech from Prana, which led to the Assembly suggesting lots of ways to improve our working environment. I hear a lot of hope and optimism and determination that the way things are when it comes to um, retention issues, recruitment challenges, the culture not being where we want it to be, that people absolutely believe it has to change. Um, But sometimes I hear also a bit of cynicism and some doubt about whether it can actually happen. So the message from the interim people planner, here are five very clear priorities, very clear choices um, that are actually going to move the agenda forward in delivering the care we want for patients, in delivering the long-term plan. So the key message is we can, and this time, All of us together are focusing on an aligned plan. I think that's never happened before. One of the things they were saying on the floor, you've talked about cynicism, they were actually also saying how long it might take Mm -hmm. to do cultural change. In some ways, culture change can begin in the next minute. And some aspects will take years to change. And what I mean by that is, if I'm in a workplace, and, and. My work culture, or my workplace culture, is determined by my relationship with the people that I serve, the relationship with the people I work with, and my line manager. If someone asks me tomorrow, hey, you don't look so comfortable or happy, like what's going on, and really wants to know the answer and then wants to help, that already changes the culture for me if nobody did that before. So in some ways, it's very easy and quick to change the immediate working environment for people. And you know what, what I am trying to do is to say, what is the one thing I can change today in what I'm doing? And what is it that I want to change and build for the future? You were 
asking the question, or the plan asks the question, how do we make the NHS the best place to work? Mm -hmm. Did you hear any answers from the assembly floor today? The, the discussion was very insightful and a lot of people with a lot of experience on having led change and they shared examples where it was successful change and some others where it wasn't and what their learning was. Um, and creating the best place to work really focuses on what people want to do for the patient and how we can all make it possible for them to do it. So there was talk about uh, simplifying processes, for example. So a lot of paperwork and a lot of rigid rules. Discussions about retaining people so that they're not leaving the NHS, whether it's because the degree rules for the, for the nursing profession don't allow people with diplomas to progress, or it's about how the students who are currently in medical schools feel about the NHS right now, where they are some of them are opting out even before they've arrived. So there was conversation about how are the future service users and clinicians involved in creating the NHS of the future and the culture that they want. So just really very inspiring, optimistic and realistic conversations. For those listening to this podcast who work in the NHS, what would you say to them? What would you, can they help you with your mission? Of course. I mean, I, I, in fact, it's almost the, the other way around. How can I help them with their mission to provide the best care that they want to provide? We all come to work to do meaningful work and to do it well. And nothing is as frustrating as things getting in the way of us being effective in our jobs. So what can I do to help you, you know, do work that you really, really want to do? Um, give me advice and, you know, let's, I, well, one request which I will have is let's suspend disbelief just for a little while so that we can give some space for all of us to try something different. Prona Esar, thank you very much and good luck. Thank you, thank you, Simon. You're listening to the NHS Assembly Podcast. The NHS Assembly Podcast. Brainer was so eloquent about her plans for changing our workplace culture. If we get that right, it will make it much easier to take on some of the huge challenges facing us. One of those is the NHS playing its part in reducing carbon emissions. In 2017, the NHS created around an astonishing 27 megatons of carbon. The Assembly had an illuminating discussion about how we can move towards carbon neutral and improve the environment in other ways. Let's hear from some of the contributors. We have a huge amount of land in the NHS. We know that trees can make one of the biggest impacts to reverse climate change. And simply by using our land, and actually I put a thing out on Twitter and Facebook this morning asking what people really, really cared about, and nearly everyone replied saying, please use NHS land to plant trees. Part of the challenge here is how do we reduce the number of car journeys? to hospitals in particular, to contribute towards these ambitious targets. Everyone's seen Blue Planet and those poor little animals dying because they're, in, you know, they're, they're caught in different bits of plastic rubbish and no one really can watch that without being compelled to do something about it. I think what was really tangible were the numbers of examples of things that we could take away to make a change. So there was the example of the green gym, which not only improves the environment for our staff and patients, but also enables our staff to get a bit of exercise in their day, which I thought was quite an interesting... So, so what's the green gym? 
So the green gym was utilising lunchtime breaks to go and uh, tidy up, pick up litter, um, and just get a bit of activity into the day. And the outcome of that would be um, a reduction in sick absences because of the health and well-being of the staff is improved as a result of people being a bit more active during their working day. This is already a social movement. The tide is turning. There is such passion about this in our nation right now. This is a moment to really work with hearts and minds that are already one. So now is a moment to work with them and actually drive some really exciting change that will make us far more more sustainable for the future and brings both economic and lifelong savings in terms of respiratory illness, dementia, cancer, all the other stuff that we know climate change contributes to. Lots for us to think about there. The NHS long-term plan aims to cut emissions from travel and stop using coal and oil. I met up with one of the people in the room who has really taken the lead on this, Jackie Daniel, Chief Executive of Newcastle Hospitals. We've been thinking about this for a long time. In actual fact, I've had a team working on this since 2011. Have your staff been pushing for this too, or was this very much driven by yeah. the leadership team? Do you know, the staff have been really pushing. We run a programme called Flourish at Work. It's our kind of cornerstone people, people's programme. And this alone, this climate change, has done more to engage and energise staff than probably any other facet of the programme. So, you know, they're really keen to talk about, you know, more provision to cycle to work, you know, shower facilities when they are at work, really keen to talk about how in, for example, renal dialysis, it's a massive team of people um, who are working not just in the hospital, but in the community that are saying, actually, we use a lot of plastics, we use a lot of waste, uh, water, how do we make that better for the climate? But for some of the carbon that's produced, a lot of it is produced just by the people coming in and out of hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, for staff coming in and out of hospital, how do you square the circle with the, the need, the desire for staff to come in, bring in their car, uh, the convenience of that versus the challenge around climate change? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to say is a lot of our staff now are making that decision for themselves. So a lot of them are saying we want more provision for cycles. Um, the, thankfully, the city council in, in the city we're in have done a huge amount with, um, you know, the lanes and cycle pathways and so on. But we're also trying to make it as easy as possible. We've just bought a fleet of electric buses. All our um, logistics now are done through electric powered buses. And we're sponsoring um, lease car schemes that are particularly favorable for that kind of car. So we've not squared it because you're right, we've got 16,000 staff in Newcastle. That's a lot of staff to come in and out. Um, and things like the Metro that we have in Newcastle works. So, I think this is where hospitals and NHS organisations really need to partner, particularly with local government on this, because it's far easier to make it possible when you're doing it as a partnership. You know, the stuff in the NHS plan about, for example, reducing the outpatient footprint, that is that's the first place we should start. You know, the amount of footfall and travel, you know, arguably, you know, a less than great use of time uh, on any for patients and for NHS staff during outpatient consultations. It can be done down line quite well, Skype. Is that something you're implementing? Absolutely, in absolutely. And we're working through a big transformation programme to see how far and in what specialties can we really make some gain there. But it's, but it's happening today. And I, th I suspect many organisations are actually, you know, got that um, quite well underway. It, it's whether we can do it at scale and so that it can be really transformational. 
And if someone listening is thinking, yes, I want to do that in my trust, in my workplace, um, what would be your advice to them? I would say to anybody, this is an absolute no-brainer. Um, I think people worry that you know, they haven't got a well-costed, thought-through you know, plan for exactly how every single element of the programme is going to look. Don't worry. You know, I think all the evidence suggests that you know, just making small attempts around this can actually cause big shifts. It is, it is a game changer in terms of getting staff motivated. They, they are really, really, they really care about this stuff. They're really thinking for the, about the next generation. And I think it's, it's just a great engagement platform to uh, get staff buzzing and talking about. And they've got some great ideas. Jackie Daniel, thank you very much. The NHS Assembly Podcast. This is the NHS Assembly Podcast. There are a quarter of a million people working for the NHS who also have caring responsibilities. So in a day when the NHS Assembly is focusing on its staff, obviously it has to take carers and how to support them incredibly seriously. Helen Walker is a member of the Assembly. She's also Chief Executive of Carers UK and she's with me now. Helen, just how important are carers to the NHS? Carers are incredibly important to the NHS. Around £108 billion worth of unpaid care supports the NHS. In terms of our, of our workforce, though, about one in five um, members, that 250,000 figure that you just mentioned, are caring for someone over and above their day-to-day jobs. The national average is one in seven, so that's something we need to really look at and make sure that we're addressing so that we have um, less people leaving work to care. So that means looking at providing flexible working policies, it means looking to support people and recognise that they are a carer. I think one of the big issues is that people don't self-identify as carers and perhaps their line managers don't recognise that they're caring, so they don't ask for help. How good is the NHS as an employer for carers? I think, like any organisation the size of the NHS, there are pockets that are exemplars of great um, carer-friendly policies and there are pockets that really don't recognise or value carers in the way that we feel that they should. So it's about using the, this, this initiative at the moment of the, the, um, the People Plan, the NHS Long Term Plan and, and making sure that carers are right through the very centre of that. The one place that I can guarantee you every single carer will walk through is an NHS property with the person that they care for. What other things can NHS employers do to help care for their carers? I think it's about having um, a policy for carers. It's about looking at whether they can have paid care leave, for example. It's a big question to think about how we can develop a policy that will enable everyone right through from the person in reception to the consultant who has caring responsibilities and how we can support them in their caring journey. One of the issues that has been discussed today is shortages in nursing, in consultants, in admin staff, in physiotherapists, are all across the NHS. And one of the reasons why people leave work is to care. Mm -hmm. Is there anything the NHS should 
do about that? And is there anything to help people who've had caring responsibilities who now want to return to work? We estimate that 600 people a day leave work to care. So in the NHS context, that's around 72,000 people have left work to care in the past year. 66,000 of those are women. So that shows the nature and structure of caring. It shows the nature and structure of the NHS workforce. So in answer to your question, yes, there's a lot that we can do. We can make sure that we um, keep in touch with people when they are caring so that they can come back effectively into the workforce. One of the examples that I spoke about today uh, was a nurse who said, I'm on carer's allowance, it's £66.15 a week, I'm already using food banks, how do I afford to pay for my nursing licence uh, on, on an annual basis, which is two weeks worth of carer's allowance, um, when I don't know where the next meal coming from? So not only has he given up work to care short term, but when his father dies, he's got a real challenge going back into his chosen career. So there are ways of thinking, you know, how caring affects different people in different ways to help them come back into the workforce after they finish their caring journey. I think we also need to remember that people often care for more than one person. There's sandwich carers, people looking after children and an older um, uh, relative at the same time. There's huge, huge responsibilities on those individuals and again it comes back to that flexible working and being able to find an environment that can say at very short notice that person can't be here today. You mentioned the impact of a carer being sick. Is there something that staff and uh, those who work across the NHS can do when patients come in with their carers to help make the experience for the carers better? I think it's recognising that they are a carer and sometimes just saying, are you okay, is, is, is huge because nobody ever asks a carer if they're okay. They look at the person that they're caring for, they never look at the carer. And, and sometimes you forget that that carer knows probably more about that individual than you do. Sometimes they themselves don't remember things when they're in uh, an NHS environment. So, so they're a resource. So it's really, really important that you, you, you use that resource at the same time that you make sure you're looking after them because carers will never think of their own mental and physical well-being first. They will always think of the person they're caring for. So I think it's our duty to make sure that we just touch base, and this is true of your colleagues, and say, are you okay? How, is, how are you getting on with your caring at the moment? Helen, thank you very much. My pleasure. This is the NHS Assembly podcast. The NHS Assembly podcast. One of the things that unites the Assembly members is that they've often had success in making positive changes for NHS staff and the people we serve. So, these are the right people to tackle some of our biggest issues. One of those tasks ahead is creating a workforce that reflects our communities. We heard in one of the sessions that recruiting the right people is key to this. Let's eavesdrop on some of those discussions. I want to go back to the question, what do we need to do? In my trust, we've got uh, modern apprenticeships. We've got four or five new apprentices. Alana has been to see the Queen. She's been to Buckingham Palace, a young girl who's really setting the world alight. If we hadn't had an apprenticeship scheme, we wouldn't have got her in. We haven't got an issue of recruiting BME people to our board from non-exec directors, but we're also developing our own through the Aspire programme. But getting talented black people to the board is not a problem because there's plenty of talent out there. The question, I think, uh, originally was something about our reflecting the communities we serve. And uh, the first and foremost, and I said this in the group, was that we do reflect the communities we serve more than, actually. So there's 20% of 
people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds in our NHS and 45% uh, of our doctors and so on. So we do reflect the population, but not at the most senior levels. So as you go up the organization, there are fewer and fewer people that look like me. Having people in senior positions that are diverse and understand the communities is absolutely key. How do we do recruitment? Greater Manchester Police have done some really interesting work on it actually and have changed how they recruit and who is joining them through some of the cadet programmes, but actually the way they've gone out into communities to have conversations to say, this is a job for people like you, even though people like you aren't already doing it. So I think the recruitment is, um, is really important. You're listening to the NHS Assembly Podcast. The NHS Assembly Podcast. Interesting thoughts on the future of our workforce there. The Assembly has two co-chairs. You'll hear me speak to one of them, Claire Gerarda, in a minute. But first... Let's listen to the other, Chris Ham. He wrapped up the day. I think it's been another set of very productive and wide-ranging discussions. I can see a number of you nodding uh, in agreement. And I think particularly the way we've been able to draw on Assembly members throughout the day in helping us with those discussions is a lesson there for future meetings. Can we keep on talking about how do we make an impact? Uh, having good discussions but also using the results of that to feed in nationally to support change locally and to work together in pursuit of the objectives within the long-term plan. So we've come to the end of the second NHS Assembly mm. day. Claire Gerarda is co-chair and joins me now. Mm -hmm. Claire, what did, you, what did you think of the day? Well, we tackled so many issues. I'm absolutely exhausted, but also exhilarated. We started off the day by looking at the workforce, such an important issue. We looked at how we're going to make the NHS be the, really be the best place to work in the whole world. We looked at the Interim People's Plan. We had Preana Issar, the new uh, People's Lead, coming to talk to us and inspiring us. And so many people throughout the day have said she set the tone inspirational but more importantly Simon hopeful. The rest of the day we again the workforce was a theme that, that went through the workforce of carers the workforce in our local communities and actually my session that I was in in the smaller group was around making sure that the workforce re represents a diversity of our populations so what I want to come out of this now is that we use the force of the assembly the people in the assembly to start having this dialogue this conversation out in their communities, within their staff, and start bringing about change. Well, today we've heard from different Assembly members who have a wealth of experience from all over the NHS. We caught up with a few of them in the coffee breaks and heard their thoughts. I'm Simon Gillespie, I'm the Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation. The one thing that is unique about this uh, Assembly is it brings together people with so many different perspectives and so many different backgrounds. And in delivering the long-term plan, I think it's really important to make sure we've got so many different perspectives so we can position health as part of a much, much broader health and well-being system. Hello, my name is Lucy Watts MBE, I'm 25 years old and I do a lot of patient advocacy, co-production and activism work. It's been a fantastic meeting. I've really enjoyed you know, hearing other people's perspectives. I think what was really rich for me is that we all come from a different angle and a different experience, 
but we have the same feelings about what we want to achieve, what we want to do. So there's that consensus amongst the group that actually we're all aiming towards the same things. We've just got there in different ways and have different solutions to solve the problems. I'm Dr Andy Knox. I'm a GP in Carnforth in Lancashire and I'm also the Director of Population Health for Morecambe Bay. One of the things I love about this assembly is how diverse it is. So seeing the mix of people in this room, it feels like we're getting a really great representation of views from across the NHS, which is really exciting, including people from local government, which is absolutely what we need as we move forward and think about the future. I think the standout things for me this morning have been how encouraging it is to hear about the development of compassionate leadership across the NHS and social care. We have got some phenomenal leaders um, across the organisation now and hearing them talk about compassion and culture and how we really care for staff and build a well-being plan for the staff who work in the NHS and take that seriously is absolutely vital. And I think the other really standout thing for me today has been about talking how we create economic regeneration, especially within the North, and how that improves health and well-being and how we work with communities that are going through major difficulties with austerity and poverty and yet really build asset-based community development and work with communities to celebrate what's brilliant about them and how we all can become more healthy and well as a result of that. Thanks to Claire Gerarda and all the Assembly members and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our first NHS Assembly podcast. You can also follow the conversation on Twitter. Search for the hashtag NHSAssembly. The next NHS Assembly will be coming from the Health and Care Innovation Expo in Manchester in September. You can register for Expo at england.nhs.uk forward slash expo. And it's free for any member of the NHS or anyone who works for local government. If you are going along and you see someone with a microphone, do come and say hello. And perhaps you'll be on our next podcast. That will come out soon after the assembly. So, until then, from me, Simon Enright, bye for now. You can keep up to date with the NHS Assembly, our podcast and further reading by visiting longtermplan.nhs.uk and click on NHS Assembly to subscribe. Mm-hmm.